everybody. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 22 of the show, of the podcast that goes through all of the Marvel Universe comics as they happened, as the stories unfolded. And we are starting tonight our coverage of April 1963. Now, you might think that April is a time for jokes and, you know, pulling pranks on people and and turns out that, you know, the Thor issue is kind of that. But we're going to cover it anyway <laughs> and um and see what we think about it. We're going to start off our night with Journey into Mystery 93. And it's my turn to take a shot at it. So, Journey into Mystery 93 was cover dated June 1963, came out April 2nd. The story is called the mysterious radioactive man and the cover has this awesome picture of the radioactive man like repelling thor's hammer and everybody going oh no he repelled thor's hammer um and it was done by stanley as the plotter scripted by robert bernstein and penciler is back to jack kirby so that's fun but it's just a tease he's not really back no he's just popping in to remind us how great he draws thor and then he's gonna leave again um so we start out in in uh, India. Yes. yes, in India, and Donald Blake is there with the U.S. soldiers or something, or he's like a medic, but he's in a soldier uniform with the cross on his helmet and stuff. And like they're being bombarded or invaded by China, and like uh, Donald Blake says, "No, that's not a good idea because if they come in and do that, they're going to hurt all these injured people." I'm not going to stand for that. So he goes around the corner, turns into Thor, and attacks the Chinese essentially easily, of course, because he's Thor, destroying their uh, tanks. And then he, like, makes it rain to, like, wash away their uh, their ability or, you know, to sink them all in the mud and make them lose all their traction. And then I think he even, like, makes a border or mountains or something so that they can't even cross into the territory anymore. So that's great for them, but bad for the Chinese military and they're very upset so they go back and report to their uh, well essentially the Red Barbarian let's just face it I don't know it's a different guy but might as well be the same dude with the ham hawk and all that from last episode Um, and they're like yeah Thor really stopped us from uh, you know doing what we wanted to do invading India and and the guy's like ah what are we going to do and the scientist says ah I think I can like create something that will stop him And they say, okay, well, you know, do that. So the guy, I can't remember his name, but he goes off. He's already actually been working on something to where uh, he's kind of uh, approaching it like Professor Reinstein. Only he knows this thing that he's been working on. And he decides even to just test it on himself because if it succeeds, it's going to create a very powerful person. And why shouldn't he be that powerful person instead of some guinea pig? So he tries it. And essentially, uh, he gets to this machine, and it turns him into what we all now know as the Radioactive Man, which is a guy who's just green and glowy um, and full of radioactivity. And the first thing he does is he destroys his lab with, like, a flex of his muscles because he doesn't want anybody else to be the Radioactive Man, too. He wants to be unique. He wants to be Captain America, the only guy that can do this. He reports to the, uh, you know, Red Barbarian lookalike dude and says, hey, look at me. I can defeat Thor. And they're like, yeah, you can. And so they send him to uh, the United States by way of submarine. He makes it to New York and kind of just plunders through New York in the streets, shouting out a challenge to Thor. 
Everybody kind of freaks out. Um, eventually, Thor shows up after Donald Blake is done doing this really harrowing surgery. He has the time now to turn into Thor, and he answers the challenge. Um, what does he do? Oh, yeah. So he tries to throw his hammer at him, and he and Radioactive Man uses his radioactivity to deflect it. So then Thor shoots lightning bolts out of his hands because he is the god of thunder, I guess. Um, but that doesn't work either. And then he's like, well, I'm Thor. I'll just punch you in the face really hard. But the Radioactive Man says, if you do that, if anybody strikes me, I turn into an H-bomb and destroy the entire city. That's my most awesome power. So Thor's like, hmm, can't do that either, I guess. And while he's thinking about what to do, um, the radioactive man uses his radioactive hypnosis and hypnotizes Thor, tells Thor, he says, Thor, you don't even remember that you're Thor, right? And Thor's like, right, I'm not Thor. I don't even know who I am. Good. Throw that hammer away. <laughs> this is my, like one of my favorite parts. Throw my ha- throw that hammer away. So Thor literally throws his hammer away, but he's Thor. And Thor throws really far, as we've established. He can throw to Asgard people. So he tosses his hammer over his head, and it's really far. And the radioactive man's like, oh, I didn't mean like that. And he tries to, like, run after it. And while he's gone, of course, Thor turns to Donald Blake because it's been 60 seconds or 90 seconds or whatever the heck it is. Um, and now he's not hypnotized anymore. So the radioactive man comes back and he's like, oh, I couldn't find the hammer. And now Thor's gone. And he looks to Donald Blake and says, you, where did Thor go? And Donald Blake's like, uh, he went over there. So the radioactive man <laughs> lumbers over there. And then Donald Blake goes back to his office where he sees Jane. And she's like, aren't you going to stop the radioactive man? He's like, no, I'm a doctor. I'm going to do doctor things. And she's like, how come you can't be like Thor? He's like, because I'm Donald Blank. But anyway, and he goes into the office and he invents like an x-ray machine so he could find where the hammer went because he's not sure either. Uh, he finds that it's in this the bottom of the Hudson River or something. And so he goes hobbling over there and there's this really cool scene where he like tries to swim all the way down and he can probably – he's not going to make it. He's probably going to drown. But then at the last second, of course, movie style, he touches it and he turns to Thor and then he flies out of there and he goes to find the radioactive man. And he says, okay, enough is enough of this nonsense. And he like makes a whirlwind with his hammer and like puts the radioactive man in it and whirlwinds him back to uh, China where of course he lands really hard and turns into a nuclear bomb and blows up. And that's the end. Radioactive man. (laughs) I like this issue, though. This is a fun issue. Uh, I've always thought the Radioactive Man looked really cool. Very cool visual villain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never read I think he, I've never read this first appearance, but... Uh, yeah, I know him from, like, the Masters of Evil mm-hmm. and the early Avengers issues, because I had the first Marvel Masterworks volume of the you know first set of Avengers, so I knew him from there. Right. I don't think I've read much of him that's new, um, but... Spoilers, he doesn't die in that atomic explosion. No, he probably just reforms himself or something. That's the worst power ever, really. Like, I'm going to create myself so that, you know, anytime someone hits me, I die. The, um, this issues rub me the wrong way in two different respects. Okay. And they, they can be minor respects, depending on how strongly you want to feel about them. Mm-hmm. Um, the depictions of Chinese physical facial features are not great. No, and we saw that in Hulk too, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I think we've seen it just in general. I, I, I don't think Kirby is trying to be disrespectful and lampoon him like you would in like a 1940s comic with the Japanese. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but at the same time, I think he is emphasizing too much differences that are not as big as they are in these comics. Okay, so I saw you post on Twitter a poll. Mm-hmm. Did you get any traction on that? Or Yeah, I, I, well, I got eight votes, and I have my family's opinion. Okay, and what, what was the result there? Okay, so my initial impression is that this isn't great, but it's not terrible. Um, and that's kind of where my wife landed. She's like, well, it's, it's, it's a comic. It's a cartoon. So what, what are they supposed to look like? My daughter said they're cartoonishly bad. Mm-hmm. And of the votes that I received on the poll, half of them were opinion that it was cartoonishly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and of the remaining half, most were in the not definite, I'm sorry, not terrible, not great vote. And I think one person chose they were perfectly fine. So, so, so my um, two issues are the color. Everybody's yellow. The coloring is, I think, the coloring struck me more strongly than the line work did. Everything's yellow, so that's kind of offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only other thing is really their eyebrows, because it's like for some reason Asians all have Spock eyebrows or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't like, know why that's a thing. Being ugly is okay because they are quote unquote the villains anyway. So if these were all white people, Kirby would probably draw them ugly too, because he likes like the thinker isn't exactly a handsome fellow, you know? Exactly. So yeah, I think it's just slightly. Off versus World War II propaganda, you know, full on Captain America buck teeth and crazy, you know, dragon eyes and stuff like that. So, but being that we are both white and and you know very American, mm-hmm. who, are, who um, are we to say? Yeah, well, I, I more than I want. I want to. I want to be willing to be wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing about this issue, okay, you know how in World War II. Uh. Whenever they would make Superman comics, the one thing they never had Superman do was go over and win the war. Go to, just just go beat Hitler because he could do that. He's Superman, right? Um, and you know, Green Lantern. He enlisted as a soldier in the war for a while, but he never went and beat Hitler. He could have with his green ring, and I'm sure Doyle Dickles would have helped. But. Um, and, of course, later on in the DC continuity, they came up with, like, you know, story reasons why they couldn't do that. But, you know, in the, in the in the war, there's an actual war. It would be disingenuous to go win the war in the comics whenever soldiers have to keep on fighting. Well, Captain America dressed up like a grandma with her grandchild, Bucky, and they went across the state lines and they spanked Adolf <laughs> Hitler. But otherwise, yeah, I'm totally with you. <laughs> so the Sino-Indian War was a real thing. Mm-hmm. That was happening in late 1962. It lasted a month or two. It was a border dispute, like is shown here. Um, and China was generally worldwide viewed as the aggressor. The thing is, the brief research I did on this, it appears to me that China won the war like it was a border claim. And China was able to fight and destroy the Indian forces enough to get to their claim lines and stop and say, this is ours. We said it was ours. We fought our way toward it. It's ours now. Okay. So they just wanted and what was, was theirs. Ceasefire. You, well, you, well, yeah. Border dispute. Oh, you know, India says, we have this area. China says, no, that we have that area. And so, you know, it's like tug of war, only uh-huh. the reverse. They could have kept going, though, but they didn't. They could have kept going, but they went to their claim lines, and they stopped and declared a ceasefire. Okay. Um, this comic depicts the opposite. Thor wins the war for India, fights the Chinese back, and then creates new geographical features to keep them from coming back and being the aggressors again. So it's like, 
if Superman went and beat Hitler and then Germany won the war. Yeah. That it's 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 weird for a story choice. But in my opinion. Man, is it epic. It's it's a very epic, it's a very cool oh my Thor is doing Thor stuff. Oh here. my god, and Kirby is back because this is the best stuff. I mean, it's probably wrong for them to be doing this, but yeah, all this business of fighting all I mean, he chains all these tanks together and then just tosses them away with his hammer and mm-hmm. yeah, breaks down this mountain and he create creates such rain that when the Chinese get on the phone, they think it's gunfire. You know, over the phone. I can't hear you over all the gunfire. It's not gunfire. It's Thor making it rain really hard. Thor right? sucks. It's so cool. But yeah, if that really happened, that's uh actually Thor awkward. blows <laughs> with the wind. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, you're right. The opening the opening act is is very fun and visually fantastic. And um, and we get more a uh, Donald being a. Uh, Doctor Without Borders kind of doctor, because he did that with uh, his second appearance also. Yeah, and he's actually leading this American Metal Commission. Which might explain so, why he knows governors and mayors and stuff all the time. Maybe maybe he's actually a pretty high muckety muck who just has his own office when he's not, you know, being a big guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but America never actually joined their military forces to the Indian forces. The ceasefire happened, like, as we were flying over to help. By the time we landed, there was a ceasefire. Um, and so Don here is not as a military force, but as a medical mission to help with the Indian people. Okay. The, um, and and yeah, so he turns into Thor. He beats back the Chinese, helps the Indians, and um, or, or maybe I should say Hindus. But, since... but Thor is helping the side that the United States would have helped? Yes. Okay. So that's... Thor is helping the side that we were sympathetic At to. At least that's not awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but you get into this issue, you get into like the other aspects of it, and there's some great stuff. Chen Lu is a megalomaniac who's just been working for other people all his life. Yeah. This is all cool stuff, too. Like, I like the, you know, it's all very Kirby, but I like the lab and the way he turns himself into the radioactive man. It's all very dynamic. And then and he's got the robots walking around. Yeah. And then it's his first act. He like destroys his entire laboratory and he's like just engulfed in fire and smiling like yes i'm the greatest villain of all time it made me think of like uh um as of this recording we just dropped the episode where uh like that alien comes from nowhere and challenges the hulk to a fight yeah and then it turns out it wasn't an alien it's just a robot full of boring commies with rifles (laughs) Um, but this is actually a real challenge and a real fight so that made me excited like i liked the whole like Come on out, Thor, and try and beat me. And he kind of is doing a Hulk thing. He's basically turning himself into the Hulk. It just has another another effect. Yeah, blasting himself with radiation to, to make himself more powerful. Yeah. Um. This is this is like and, the first guy that's like a physical threat to Thor, isn't it? I mean, like Loki does his twiddly stuff, and Sandu is like a mental guy, and I can't even. Yeah, I think this might be the first guy besides Loki who actually comes back with any sort of frequency yeah i mean the stone men from saturn come back but oh, that's yeah, like yeah. way down the road and, the, yeah, and yeah. sort of a retooled concept but yeah but yeah the the radioactive man is is back you know in the near future and eventually joins the avengers as first bad guy team now just like magnetism they don't really necessarily get radioactivity because i feel like a lot of the stuff he does has nothing to do with that but like hypnotism hypnotism and repelling lightning and 
even the hammer maybe i'm not sure how yeah. why that would work exactly i don't know either i did like that don blake couldn't respond because he was in surgery i just wish it had been played out a little bit right more yeah with more suspense yeah it seemed like just a kind of a thing they slapped in there and the only thing i got out of it was that apparently he's a really good surgeon because without him this guy would have died and nobody else could save him or her which makes me worry one about all the people who die when thor's out in space yeah got well you could say the same thing about anybody that's all powerful i guess superman's looking left people are dying right you know yeah that's true um thor shoots lightning out of his hands that was new mm-hmm and I liked it because it kind of goes back to the idea that the hammer is not the source of his power. No, right. Yeah. I mean, he's the god of lightning and thunder and weather. Does he really need – obviously, to change now, he needs the hammer. But And we're going to talk about this more. Um, is it issue – was it issue 92 or is it – yeah, it was, it was issue 92 whenever they're talking about how Thor – like, he's powerless without his hammer. What is he going to do without his hammer? He's powerless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've already talked about that. Well, that's, that's in the past tense. Um, no, 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 no. It's this one. This one on page 11. Whenever he's like, you know, throw away your hammer. And they're like, what's Thor's oh. done for? Great guns. He's thrown away his mighty hammer. Now he's at that character's mercy. And so are we. Yeah. Who says that he is helpless without his hammer? Right. Well, Thor doesn't because he says before that, then I will take you on myself. I'm still the mightiest of immortals. I'll defeat you if I must with my bare hands. But then, right. then of course, it's like, oh, but then you'll destroy the whole city. Ah, shucks. And also, why does Don Blake say, holy hypos? <laughs> Where does he say that? Page oh, 11, yeah, holy four. hypos. I don't, what does that even mean? I don't know. Like hypodermic needles? Hypo, I don't know. Yeah, hypodermic needles, hyposprays. Yeah, I don't know. How come the hammer didn't holy come hypos. back, though? I've become Dr. Blake again. Did the hammer get thrown so far that it was, go- it was farther away than it could come back and... 90 seconds or whatever. Must have, I um, guess. Yeah, it ends up being in, like, in the ocean. Mm. It's funny that it doesn't come back when he's Donald Blake. I wonder if that's going to be consistent in the future. Oh, wait, wait. This is this is actually an inconsistency. Is it? Okay. Yeah, because if Thor throws his hammer, it should always automatically come back to him. Right, but what if he throws – we've seen him throw it so far. Like, at some point, there has to be a duration – of time that he's thrown it he's thrown it to asgard and it's kind of i know right so you think that would last longer than 90 seconds or is it 60 seconds any narration to help explain it as the radioactive man runs off little suspect Thor cannot be without his hammer more than 60 seconds it doesn't really um it doesn't explain well we already explained it that he opened a portal to throw his hammer to asgard so that took no time at all but you know what it takes like a minute for them to even exclaim that oh it's loki so, yeah, when he throws his hammer, it shouldn't count because he could probably throw it around the world as strong as he is. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like it. I did like the page of him going to get the hammer, like the underwater about to die. Oh, oh I see the yeah. hammer must grab. That's great. That was some cool suspense. I have – I get kind of triggered with underwater tension because I almost drowned one time. Uh-huh. Um, and I my, my – even right now as I'm looking at the panel, my – uh, heart rate scooting up, creeping up a little bit. So it was it was a solid, solid moment. Yeah, they're kind of good with the changing things because they had that other one where even though it wasn't a great issue, the Tomorrow Man, where they had the countdown, mm-hmm. and, like he has to defeat these robots before sixty seconds, or he's going to turn to Donald Blake. That gave me some tension too. So yeah, they're they're good at the uh, the raising the tension for change moments one way or the other. 
But the um, the actual demise of the radioactive man, no don't. I'm moving too fast. When I land, I'll reach critical mass. Mm-hmm. Stanley has no clue how atomics work. You don't gain mass by landing hard. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, and again, it's a really stupid power to give yourself. It's like anytime someone hits me hard enough, I'll blow up. Yeah, at least Jamie Madrix has a good sense to split into somebody else when he gets that hard. Yeah. I feel like that's not the case eventually with this guy, but we'll find out, I suppose. We will find out. So is that uh, is that the end? That's all I got on that one. We still have two more we can yeah. go, though, if you want. Right. Tales to Astonish 45. Yeah. Wow. No. Um, Egghead's back. No. And you're going to get in trouble. So Our second reoccurring uh, villain after Loki? Or no? Loki, Egghead, Doctor Doom. Oh, Doctor Doom, Submariner. Submariner. Yeah, so Egghead's not even important. But he is Ant-Man's first recurring villain. Mm -hmm. That's important. Um, And as because he is Ant-Man's first recurring villain, he's going to kind of always be around every now and then. Okay. This one's a toughie, so good luck. This one opens with a rather extensive recap of the previous Egghead story, Mm -hmm. which was drawn by Jack Kirby. This one's Don Heck. Yeah. Um, Don Heck, H.E. Huntley scripted the plot from Stanley. And have we changed? Have we changed dates? No, we're still. This is the second one from the first week of April. Um, okay. Mm. Egghead <laughs> ended last time in an old uh, flop house. Yep. So he's still in that old flop house. Like it's been weeks or months, and he's just still living homeless in this place. Uh, his facial hair has grown out a little bit, which ends up looking really weird on the page. Um, it's not really grown like facial hair. It's grown like swollen lips. It's it's weird. Um, he meets some guys and tells them, hey, I can help you get money because that's how it always does his thing. Um, we just got to stop the Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, I know. They're like, they're complaining about the Wasp. Two guys have just tried to do a thing. Ant-Man and the Wasp stopped them, and they're complaining about the Wasp. And Egghead's like, what, what, what? Ant-Man and the Wasp? What's a Wasp? So they're like, yeah, he's got this partner now. So they're like, huh. Okay, well, we're going to beat them. Y'all help me, and y'all can take your cut of the dough. So some time goes by, and Egghead shows up in a big uh, lecture about science, and he has fake hair on his face. He's going under some sort of pseudonym. Um, he, uh, his lecture gets attended by Henry Pym and Janet Van Dyne, but of course no one knows that they are Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, there's something about a, something about a, like a lizard scene or something or snakes. <laughs> we, can, can we tell that this was such a great story that it really impacted John's life? So somehow Ant-Man and the Wasp realize there's something bad going on. Uh-huh. And Wasp wants to go take care of it. And Ant-Man's like, no, don't go take care of it. So she goes out, just as Janet Van Dyne, to a thing about wasps. Like uh, like another one of Stryker's, um, I guess that's his name, Stryker. Another one of Stryker's lectures about wasps. And because Egghead has a plan. Oh, if I give a lecture on wasps, the wasp will attend. There you go. She won't be able to help herself. Yep. So Janet Van Dyne can't help herself. She goes to the seminar on wasps because she's a wasp now. And um, she decides to go and turn into the wasp and go after Egghead. Egghead captures her and she's like, well, I'm a dope. Here I was trying to show how I'm adult and independent. 
out Need No Man, and I get captured because Stan Lee is not a feminist writer. <laughs> and um, so Ant-Man, oh, she sends out her signal through her little helmet. Help, 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 Hank, man, I'm, I need your help. And he's back in his house. He's like, that foolish girl. I'm going to go save her now because, you know, she she has the hots for me. Uh, he goes to save her. She's in, he, he gets captured in like a giant iguanas. No, the iguana's not giant. It just seems giant because he's tiny. Yeah. He fights this iguana, kills the iguana, stabs it with a needle, um, uses his adult size strength to burst out of the cage. There's an ant eater because why not? He starts eating ants, but doesn't eat ant man. Um, they defeat the ant eater because they're superheroes and they, um, end up beating the two bad guys, but the egghead ends up getting away. There is a cool moment where she gets the needle that Ant-Man was fighting the iguana with and stabs, um, what's his face? Egghead with it on the hand. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Ooh, I've got my sting, which is great because a wasp, you know, should have a sting. Mm -hmm. It's not the, you know, air gun she's going to get later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a better weapon actually than the air gun she's going to get later. So anyways, yeah. Um, this might already be my lowest pick for the for the month. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's some great Don Heck art. Yeah, he is doing a great job with Janet. I try not to ogle um, comic book women, especially not where people can hear me talking. So I'll just simply say he draws a very lovely, sophisticated looking. Janet Van Dyne. Well, she does not look like a child that she was called all time last issue. She looks like an 18, 19, 20 year old woman. Well, Kirby has a lot of strengths, but I don't think drawing females is one of them. So Mm-mm. this is our only our second story with her. First one was Kirby. So yeah, it's a much improved. I actually think Don Heck is a better Ant-Man artist all around than Kirby. Um, I think he just gets the character more or makes it more interesting. You know, um, Kirby has his strengths. I love him on Thor. I love him on Fantastic Four, but yeah, Don Heck on Ant-Man is way better. I um, I don't have a whole lot on this. I can actually go through my five points really quick. Okay, go ahead. Um, the narration calls them a young man and a young girl. Mm-hmm. So Pym is not that old, just old enough that she seems young to him. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the, uh, let's see, on page seven, one, two, three, four... She uh, she comments that his catapult is faster than her wings. Mm-hmm. I feel like that shouldn't be the case. I feel like she should be able to fly pretty quickly. But then I think, well, if I threw a, if if a sports person threw a baseball, would that go faster than an insect flying alongside? And maybe so. Maybe a catapult, a launched item, would go out faster than a, a flying living creature. Well, I mean, she so says it flying right next to him. So how much faster could it be? But yeah, it's true. That might be just as he's passing. But, um, oh, yeah. You're really fast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then when he lands, he grabs an ant and he rides the ant while she has to fly. Uh-huh. So I feel like that's kind of weird because he's like chilling on his on his ride and she's like still using her little wing muscles to fly. Yeah. And probably um, probably really bored at how slow he's going too. the bad guys. Once they had enough money, they wanted Egghead to stop and give up the whole uh-huh. revenge thing. And it, yeah. And. That's exactly what should have happened. That would have been the exact right decision. Hey, we got enough money to go live on an island, so let's go. Let's go get our island. And he's like, and, uh, "No," because his argument. Well, obviously, we know why he doesn't want to stop because he wants revenge. He wants to prove how 
eggheady is, right? Um, mm-hmm. But his argument to them was, but Ant-Man will never let you keep the diamond. But he did successfully steal the diamond because he created like this thing that could interrupt the ants' signals while they were robbing the diamond store. So Ant-Man had no idea what was going on. He couldn't understand the ants until after they had left. And then the ants are like, somebody robbed something. And he's like, oh, well, I don't know what that meant. So, oh, well, too late. There's no evidence. They got away with it. But, uh, yeah, Egghead ruined it. When she's at the science thing about the uh, wasps, she says, should I notify the police? No, I'll tell Henry and we'll... Well, no, I won't do that either. He treats me like a scatterbrained little girl, and I want him to think of me as a full-fledged woman, a woman in love. And I'm just like, you know, Janet Van Dyne is a struggling feminist in a chauvinistic world, and it's, it's you know, kind of hard. But the very next panel, Egghead's like, the wasp is somewhere in this crowd. So I guess his egg senses are frying. I mean, tingling. I feel like Janet Van Dyne is not the kind of person who would care one lick about a wasp presentation. Yeah, do you think she's doing it just to impress Henry? I think she's doing it because the story's silly maybe like like that was his whole conceit like she's the wasp so i'll make first of all this whole business where he becomes like this famous zoologist just so he could get access to all this is just shenanigans and like takes forever and then it's like his whole theory is like she's the wasp she named herself the wasp so therefore the wasp will show up if i have this awesome wasp uh uh exhibit I don't know. It's like, does that ever work? Like, I need to, I need to attack Spider-Man, so I'll make a spider exhibit, and he'll definitely be there. You know, like I don't know. Janet doesn't care about bugs. I feel like that happens though. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it, Stan! You just proved my like, point wrong. I feel like Peter goes to the fancy spider exhibit. <laughs> Darn it! Oh no, 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 no. He, <clears throat> his friends are going to a. Uh, no, that's lizards. Oh. There's, there's one point where his friends are going to a cool exhibit about some kind of animal. I thought it was spiders. Maybe it was lizards. And he's like, I can't act interested in this stuff. I've, or they'll think I'm Spider-Man. Now, you guys go ahead. Oh, Those God. animals are icky, yucky. I'm just going to stay here and play with my test tubes. Talk about a leap of logic. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. Um, and they use a garrote on the anteater. They basically slice the anteater's face up in order to stop it. I thought it was really terrible. I didn't but, like that um, they killed the iguana either. It's not, not the iguana's fault it's trying to eat you. Right? I do like Kill that the, the ant-man gets like, or the anteater gets its butt kicked, though. That's kind of cool. Like, it did try and eat ant-man, and then he has like that lasso-y thing or whatever and, and uh, flips it around because he's super strong. And the issue ends with Egghead still at large, and that is all I had to say about this story. I don't know if you want to add anything to it. Just one thing. I You know, if we're talking sexism, I like that Egghead hears that the ant-man has a female partner and he decides, aha, he finally has a weakness. <laughs> so oh, I mean, maybe he didn't mean it that way. Like maybe he just meant, even if it was a male or female, it's a partner. And if I'd capture his partner, then that's his weakness. But I feel like he meant it that way. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be romantic. It's just, Oh, she's a girl. Yeah. That's a vulnerability in there in their, You know, I, I can beat her. Of course. She's, yeah. You know, the boobs will get in the way. Right. Right, so that was kind of awkward. Yeah, but you know, yeah. yeah, horrible story, great art, cool action. Um, not much to say about it. Yeah, yeah. Didn't like Egghead the first time, look, don't like him the second time. I was gonna look to see if there's anything cool happening in the next couple issues, but we we just had our cool thing in this series. The Wasp joined. Yeah, so it's gonna be a while before anything else cool happens. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're gonna get Giant eventually, but that's gonna be after the Avengers. You want to know something that is cool though? I. What's that? Get to summarize Spider-Man this week. Oh, you For do get to summarize Spider-Man time, this week. 
you got a for the first time in you know ever you got amazing <laughs> fantasy you got spider-man one spider-man two now i get to do spider-man kind of nervous because like you're like the spider-man expert and now i have to summarize it without thinking and you're gonna be like that's not what happened but we'll see what happens you ever heard that um billy joel song pressure yeah, yeah that's you right now yeah okay go okay ahead. <laughs> amazing spider-man number three which was cover dated july 1963 on sale april 9th so that puts this in another week or no or is this mm-hmm. the same week? Okay. Entitled. This is the beginning of the week two. Week two. Entitled Dr. Octopus. So you know the villain's Electro. Writer Stan Lee, artist Steve Ditko. Keeping it simple on this one. So, so it starts with like some guys doing criminal stuff. And I, I'm, I'm already forgetting what they were doing, but they're robbing something or doing something bad. Just a couple hoodlums. And then this bat signal like appears on the wall. I mean,. Spider-Man's new spider symbol, which if you don't know what that looks like, check out our show notes. I'm sure I'll put it on there. But, you know, you know what his spider symbol looks like. Comes out of his belt. It's like a big light. And they all go, ah, spider. And he beats him up. And he hangs him up. And then he walks away blowing on his knuckles going like, man, I'm so awesome as Spider-Man that I think I'm going to go the rest of my life without being challenged. This is going to be a really sad life for me because I am so great. Nothing is ever going to stop me, and there's nothing I can't do. Oh, well. Sucks to be me. But that's not true, kids, because then we move to an atomic research facility where a scientist named Dr. Otto Octavius is kind of showing off to his colleagues, or at least they're watching, as he uses these mechanical arms he invented to manipulate the radioactivity or the atomic energy while he himself stays protected behind like a glass plexiglass shield or something like that but even though that sounds like a great idea it doesn't work because he mixes something where he shouldn't have mixed something or whatever and something explodes right in his face and and you know protective plastic shield or not he gets blown backwards and unconscious and he wakes up in the hospital and they're kind of like oh man this guy or no before he wakes up the doctors are surrounding him and talking about how he's got brain damage and you know, this really sucks because he was like a brilliant person and all this, blah, blah, blah. But then he wakes up and he's like, oh, where am I? They're like, no, no, just relax. Stay where you are. You're fine. But that doesn't make him happy because he has brain damage now. So he goes, no, nobody will stop my work. I must continue my work. Hey, by the way, these arms, I think they're like fused to me now. And I can like just mentally control them. They're like part of me. I can feel it. So with that, he immediately takes over the hospital, takes everybody hostage. And, like, starts to, like, have them get his lab or, you know, organize stuff for, like, so he can continue his research, I guess, or something. I don't even know what he's trying to research. But it cuts to Peter Parker and at the Daily Bugle where J. Jonah Jameson is like, man, I really wish we could have got pictures of this Dr. Octavius guy after he got blown up. But for some reason, we're not allowed in the hospital. And Peter Parker's like, hey, if you promise not to ask how I get him, I'll get him for you. So he turns into Spider-Man. And he goes to the office and he finds out that – or he goes to the hospital, looks through the window and he finds out that they're all being taken hostage by Dr. Octopus. So he's like, well, here's another guy that can't defeat me. And he goes into the glass window and starts punching and fighting and stuff. But it turns out maybe he's not undefeatable because the arms move faster than he thought and there's four of them and they can rip his webbing. And pretty much by the end of the fight – all four of his limbs are being held 
by Dr. Octopus's mechanical arms and Dr. Octopus is using his human hand to just sit there and like slap Peter in the face in the most humiliating I hate that. in the most humiliating way possible and then he says to him you know what you're not even worth my time I'm not even going to bother killing you you're so lame you can just go the way you came in and he tosses him out through the window again and Peter <laughs> Falls flat on his face, gets up, takes his mask off. He probably has a little, like, Japanese tear going on from anime. And then he's like, God, I just got beat so bad that I have to quit being Spider-Man now. Because I, I suck. I am just he, – he's, like, really bipolar. Either he's undefeatable or I'm horrible. Um, so he goes back to school really depressed. And meanwhile, uh, Dr. Octopus decides that Spider-Man still wrecked everything and, like, the police are going to come now. So – he better scram, and he goes to his old atomic research facility and takes that over instead. Um, and he, like, uses the energy or something to make it so that people can't get in, I think. I can't remember exactly. Or, yeah, he makes it really dangerous to go in there or something, and, like, the army sort of surrounds it and barricades it, but they, they don't go in there, and he doesn't come out, and he's doing crazy experiments and stuff like that. Meanwhile, back at Peter's high school, um, all the bullies that hate him invite him to go to uh, a uh, – a presentation, which is of Johnny Storm talking to the kids. Johnny's kind of under the weather. He spent too much of his energy, and I guess he has a bug or something, so he can't really flame on a lot, but he's doing a little bit of, like, you know, finger-flaming math and stuff like that. And at the end of his speech, he says, so, you know, sometimes you're going to want to quit, and sometimes you're going to want to feel defeated, but you can't quit. you got to stay in school. you got to keep trying. you got to keep working. you got to keep doing a good job. And Peter's like... He's talking to me directly. I could just feel it. He's right. I got to go back and try this again. So he turns into Spider-Man again and like sneaks past the barricade at the atomic research thing, sneaks inside. And the first thing he does is he goes to school um, in this laboratory that he finds and starts uh, going old school, like using his science powers and stuff and making, making some sort of chemical. And he has that ready to go and he and he starts working his way through the corridors looking for Dr. Octopus. Dr. Octopus can see him on the screen and tries to, like, stop him. But it doesn't really work. So then Doc Ock's like, okay, fine. I'll just confront you directly because I beat you last time. I'm going to beat you again this time. And he attacks him again. But this time Spidey has his, like, science stuff that he created. It's like little Bunsen thingies or, you know, test tubes or whatever. And he grabs two of uh, Ock's um, tentacles or lay arms or limbs or whatever you call them. And uses the chemical that he created to, like, fuse them together. So now two out of four of his arms are stuck together. So that helps a little bit. But it doesn't quite work because Dr. Octopus is still pretty formidable and starts trying to beat him up and stuff like that. Um, and then um, – um, oh, so he shoots him, like, in the face. So he's kind of blind. with the, You know, he's, he, he can't get his glasses off. Dr. Octopus has glasses. He can't get them off. So he's sort of blind and he's thrashing wildly and he, like, grabs – Spider-Man with the other two remaining uh, arms and starts pulling him in. And just as he manages to get his glasses off to see Spider-Man, he realizes he's pulled him in too close and Spider-Man just punches him in the face in his human head, which, you know, of course, can't withstand a spider punch. And he knocks him cold. And then he uh, wraps him up for the police that are outside barricading the place. And, uh, oh, yeah, then he goes, Spider-Man goes to... The doctor's office, I guess, where Johnny is and tells him, thanks, Human Torch. You really helped me out there. And then he swings away and the Human Torch is left going, 
um, how? I don't know what he's talking about. And then it cuts to like the school again and Human Torch doing more like awesome demonstrations only now at full flame with a thought bubble like I wish Spider-Man was here so he can help me do the demonstration with the kids. And then Peter's in the audience going, if only he knew I was Spider-Man. He or something like that. If only he knew. The end. <laughs> you made me so proud. <laughs> yeah. Did I miss anything? I think that was it. No, you, you, you got it. You got good, it. Good. That was great. This was an awesome issue. This was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cover's great. The splash page is great. The splash page is simple, but it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Dr. Octopus logo. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like that it's textured and it has like all you know, all the stuff going on. I love the arms reaching for the camera. Mm-hmm. Um I like that we get in this epic tale. See the human torch. It's just like a little inset. The, the the way the copying and the arrows and the lettering is done here. This actually, this issue, I think part of the aesthetic of this issue I like so much is due to the letterer. Oh yeah. Now we never talk about letterers. No. John Duffy lettered this issue, and John Duffy has lettered a few others, but I haven't really mentioned him because I wanted to come to this because this is a great example of of John Duffy. Yeah. If you just go and page through and look at the caption boxes, he really likes to do non-square huh. caption boxes. Yeah, he does. And he'll do like, you know, with little cool corners on them and the corners have a little shadow corner behind them. Like there's a layering to it. And I, it's just, I don't know. It helps add to the aesthetic of this issue that has just been in my brain since I was six years old. Um, but yeah, this is a great issue. Like this, like, what was the first issue? Missiles and Chameleon? And Chameleon. Then Vulture. And he lettered the Chameleon story. And then Vulture and the Thinker or the Tinkerer. Tinkerer. Yeah, this is so much better than both of those. Like those? Yeah. Those were kind of like – I didn't even think the art was necessarily that good in the first two. But it's like now Ditko is getting back into the swing of things because the art in this is pretty amazing. Oh, dude, there are some pages just like almost every single – like him cr- him crawling up the wall as he goes to meet and like zooming in on the fingers and the feet. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, yeah, and yeah. then like the fight scenes. Oh, God, and yeah. The poses where he has – oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. There's so much here that I love. So let's start with <laughs> let's start with the uh, the old uh, Spidey flashlight. Okay. Um, first appearance. How- first appearance of the Spidey flashlight, right? Right, spider signal, yep. Yeah. Um, I always thought it was cool. I've signal? always thought it was cool. I don't know if he needs I it, it was cool too. but it's cool. I heard people say it was lame one time. I'm like, really? No, Who are you and yeah. why are you a Spider-Man fan? Yeah, I've never thought it was lame. He doesn't use it that often, but I can see it like a guy like Peter making it because it's kind of sciencey and gimmicky and fun, you know? And kind of, and kind of nerdy. Yeah, totally. Know. Like he read, he read Batman comics growing up and was like, I need um, a symbol. Speaking of reading Batman comics when he grew up. Dr. Octopus calls him Superman in this issue. Does he really? Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. So we're on the first page still. Um, yeah. This is great. After after fighting all these supervillains, he 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 takes out a bank robber. He's like, these, these guys are just bank robbers. They're not they're not the freaking vulture. They're not the chameleon. They're I guess I'm out of I'm out of bad guys. Yeah, he gets to the point where he's kind of arrogant again, like Amazing Fantasy 15 arrogant. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to get literally like slapped down from that, which is kind of satisfying. Also, it is also kind of horrifying. But it's been two months since my last issue. I'm I'm all out of stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we get to a really cool page. I've always loved the idea of this page and like the guy being able to like turn these dials and move the arms around. It's it's mm-hmm. it's completely the sort of thing that couldn't actually exist. But 
but it's a really cool fantasy. And it comes to life in the head of a six-year-old. And it's a good idea. Like, that's mm-hmm. when sci-fi is best, when you come up with something that actually could be helpful or something that would have actually been invented. Like, I could see this right. being useful, even though we don't... Standing behind we can't, standing behind some shielding and using, like, robotic arms to manipulate stuff in front right. of Right. I mean, why wouldn't... We do that. Why wouldn't we do that? So, yeah, it totally works as a concept. Uh, what do you think of Dr. Octopus as a villain? I like him as a villain. I kind of wish we got a little more of him before he was a villain. All he really mm-hmm. does is talk about how he's going to be the best atomic expert ever because he's the only one not scared to mess with it. Right. Which sounds kind of villainous, but you don't get the impression that he's actually a villain until he gets the brain damage. Um, but I don't know. And I feel like, you know, the, 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 I don't think they really bring it out here, but later writers bring out the idea that this is kind of the mirror image of Spider-Man's origin story. Oh, that, science like, gone wrong. Sci- yeah, science gone wrong. A science geek, science gone wrong. He's he's sort of mocked and made fun of by his peers. Mm-hmm. And he's um, an animal. And yeah, he's animal based and octopodal animal based because mm-hmm. you have octopus versus spiders. Um, and then he ends up going bad instead of going good, and that's partly because of the brain damage, I'm sure. Also because his arms come to life and start talking to him. That was that but, was a cool thing they did in the movie, but I don't. They don't do that here, right? Like, no, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's ever as extensive as it was in the movie. Uh-huh. He can mentally communicate with his arms, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know that it ever becomes like he has conversations with them and they have their opinions. Right, right. Which is what happens in Spider Man. Right, they're like more like AI constructs or something. Right. And he had that like inhibitor chip, so they couldn't take over his brain, and it broke. Right. right. Anyway, yeah. He, at this point, he just doesn't have to use the dials anymore. They respond to him mentally. So they fuse with his body, I guess, in mm-hmm. some form. Um, and I, I love that that weird picture of him feeling his head and be like, they're jealous of me. They want to keep me from my work, but I'll show them I'm stronger than any of them. Yeah. So that's my one question maybe of this story is what is he trying to accomplish other than his work, quote unquote work? Like, is he trying to kill everybody or something? Or is he just trying to work? Yeah, I don't know. What is he working on? They never really say, like, I'm going to create a bomb and destroy the city. It's just more like, leave me alone. I want to work. And then no one's willing to leave him alone. I just want to do science over here. Will you please get out of my <laughs> right? Way? I'm actually flipping through some of his conversations to see what he says about what he wants I don't to do. Think he... His objective is the Atomic Research Center, but... That was where he worked. So he was doing mm-hmm. that before. So why not just let him keep doing it unless he was going to do something illegal? But I mean, he did take the, host- the the prisoner or the hospital hostage, so you know he's not in his right mind, and he should be stopped. I'm not saying he shouldn't be, but I just was wondering if there was anything particularly, you know, nasty that he was trying to do. Well, he does enjoy the fact that taking over the atomic power plant makes him the strongest man alive, mm-hmm. and he's going to give the world a demonstration of his strength by destroying part of the plant and rebuilding it to suit his own purposes. But um. That's it. Wow, it seems that the only thing he wants to do is take over his place of work. Right. So he's like a mailman gone wrong, kind of. Wow. I never really thought about what exactly his goals were in this. He's just, he's so delightful at being villainous uh-huh. that I'd never thought of what his actual goal was in this issue. I'm glad you brought that up. All he wants to do is, is take over his science workplace. And just keep doing what he was doing. And they wanted him to lay down That's- and rest, so he got mad and took over the hospital. And <laughs> that makes it all poignant and sad now, though. Yeah, kind of. Wow. Okay, okay. But he is a very, always has been, always will be, a very visually awesome character. Um, 
I like that he's kind of just this out of shape, squat, nerdy looking dude, but then also mm-hmm. one of the most powerful guys in the room because these tentacles are just crazy awesome. Yeah. Um, and let's see what else. Yeah, I I think he could probably be considered Spider Man's first major nemesis. He's certainly my favorite. Oh er, well, well yeah. I should maybe. Well, you get Green Goblin and Venom yeah, later I on. About also, the goblins. I, I think they three are the top nemeses of Spider Man. I think the goblins get a lot of press, and then we forget about Doctor Octopus, and then he shows up and does some serious damage, and then we go, "Oh yeah, I've always liked Doctor Octopus." But I loved Superior Spider-Man using Otto Octavius and having them swap bodies like that and having Otto Octavius, who, like I said, is kind of a dark mirror of Peter trying to live Spider-Man's life. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get J. Jonah Jameson. And I was like, there's these nice olden days when Jonah actually seems to respect Peter. Yeah. Maybe it's just because Peter's such an unknown right now, but Jonah is treating him like a person. Well, he paid for a year's worth of his uh, rent, so that was nice. Right. But look at his face on the last page when Peter's walking away arrogantly saying, just have a check ready for me when I bring back the pick, old man. That's the last time he's going to respect Peter right there. You might be right, especially <laughs> since Peter doesn't follow through. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he doesn't even get a picture. I forgot about that. Uh, I mean, spoilers, Peter is a bit of a jerk. I think that's something that is easy to forget because we always see his stories from his point of view. But anytime we see Spider-Man from somebody else's point of view, Spider-Man does not come off as the greatest guy. Being snarky is hard. You know, I've lived with it. I offend people sometimes or annoy people. And it's like, from my perspective, it's like, dude, I was just joking. But then they start, oh, I took it to heart and I hate you. You know, "Ah, what are you going to do? Have you seen the uh, the ads for the new um, Into the Spider-Verse animated film? Yeah, I haven't actually seen it with the sound on, though. So technically I haven't. I've just seen them, the visuals. But. Okay. Because Peter Peter comes off as a, as a not quite the greatest guy in those. But to me, that's kind of consistent with Peter. Mm-hmm. Like, Peter is not Clark Kent. For all the ways that Peter and Clark are similar, they do not have the same personality. Yeah. Well, and I have issues with the whole bully thing, which we can get to after we talk about this amazing first destruction of Spider-Man mm-hmm. fight. Um, God, this was like, he just gets beat. Mm-hmm. And he gets beat bad. Like, he just goes in there. He's already established that he's arrogant today. Like, even right up to that point, he's like, it's so great being me. I can scale walls and I can jump through things. And, oh, look, there's this guy. I'm going to kick his butt. And then it's like, oh, these arms are faster than I think. Oh, there's a fourth one. Ow, it just hit me. Okay, I'll web him. Oh, he can break my webs. Okay, I'll hold on to them with my arms. Oh, but he has two more that he just turned me upside down. And next thing you know, he's slapping me in the face. (laughs) He's like, this is two pages. And Dr. Octopus has totally defeated Spider-Man. Spider-Man gets spanked. It It is harsh. It is terrible. And it's at the bottom of page eight. Bottom of page eight. What? Oh. And now Superman. Oh, I go oh. bored with this game. Super hyphen man, just like spider hyphen man. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of an infamous uh, goof. I like to think that Octavius actually does say Superman here because he's mocking Spider-Man's efforts to save the day. Oh, is it supposed to be a typo? It's generally viewed as oh, a typo. Because why, why would he say Superman there in a Spider-Man comic? Yeah, I guess that's true. And he does have the hyphen right where it's supposed to be. So, Right. But, yeah, I, I like your idea better that he just calls him Superman to be, like, you know, sarcastic. Right. Um, God, that panel of him smacking him in the face. I was like, wow, 
Just uh, kick him when so he's good. down. Talk about Those two panels right next to each oh, other are so good. And then he just tosses him aside and it's like, you're nothing. Just leave. Yeah. And he lands in the tree and falls out of the tree. And then those two panels on the next page, yeah. Steve Ditko does humanity oh, so yeah. well. Oh, yeah. The expression on his face that he did not even see that coming. And he has just been completely and utterly defeated. And his world is now a 180. It's all on that face. Mm-hmm. It's really mm-hmm. good. Did we talk about the fact that Peter Parker was modeled after Steve Ditko? I think we talked about J. Jonah Jameson and Betty Brant, but not... Did we talk about Peter? I don't remember. I don't think we actually covered that back in our beginning of Spider-Man coverage. We talked about it off microphone. Oh, is it off mic? We should stop doing that so I don't forget when we talked and when we didn't. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and it, it, it's not really that, that, that you know essential to the story right now. But yeah, Peter Parker, if you look at young Steve Ditko pictures, it is, mm. it is Peter Parker to a T. Nice. Um, I'll try. To, I'll try to find the reference I was looking at for that, so we can put that in the visual companion. Um, I love the visual of Doctor Octopus walking around on his arms. Yeah, that's a great idea. And walking up walls, walking across ground, walking over fences. Just his body's up there, and the tentacles are doing all this really cool stuff. Yeah, they really went further than they, you know, necessarily. You could you could argue that they just came up with. Uh, you know, the arms and the arms are going to be super strong and they're going to punch things and stuff. But they went even farther with that. And I like the way they make him travel and can climb things. And he's pretty much just unstoppable. But at the same time, he's like this little out of shape man attached to <laughs> to what to what makes him unstoppable. Right. And there's a really neat panel of him blending in with the pipes. Uh-huh. And the really cool panel of him like creepy getting through the top of the door with his tentacle. And, and then like kicking everybody. Yeah, like grabbing everybody like an octopus. He's not even he's not yeah. even on the panel. Like his his arms are just coming through the door and grabbing people that are helpless to, you know, stop him and it's really cool. Oh no, he's pushing them out um, actually. Either way. And destroying part of the plant and rebuilding it to suit himself to keep everybody out and So, I mean, that's pretty dangerous because it's an atomic plant and you don't want like one guy just taking it over and running it how he wants. So, I guess that's villainous. But, yeah, he doesn't really have any particular intentions to do anything other than finish his work, I guess. He looks really happy about um, it. But then we get to, like, yeah. you know, Human Torch. So this is multiple times now that Fantastic Four and Spider-Man have interacted or crossed yeah, over. Yeah, the Torch doesn't realize it, but it is for Peter's point of view. Okay, so here's what I want to talk about because we talked about it a little bit last time where – remember when they were trying to capture the Vulture and they had all these, you know, cops and everything and the kids wanted to go check it out? Mm-hmm. And they invited Peter, and then Peter's like, "I can't be here. I gotta go actually do something." And we were kind of like, you know, wondering if the bullies are really that bully like, or if they're just kids who jab each other, jab each other. You know, right. I just feel more and more that like I've been giving Flash Thompson uh, a harder time than he deserves this whole time because so far, yeah. As I, I read these early issues, it's like Peter is really more jerky. These kids are all, you know. Have you ever seen um? Meet the Robinsons? I feel like I have, but I don't have any memory. Well, there's this the villain in it tells his story, and part of his story is that everybody hated me. And it flashes back to him walking down the hall and they're all like, Hey, how's it going? Hi, how are you? And he's ignoring them all as he like goes down the hallway. So no one hated him at all. That's just what his impression was. Um and I feel like that's the way it is here too, because they're always talking to him and they're always inviting him to go do things that they're going to do. And yes, Flash 
calls him a bookworm sometimes or whatever. But I feel like, you know, I talk to my friends worse than that on a regular basis. And they talk to me that way also, you know. Like, so maybe Peter is just so uptight and antisocial that he takes everything to heart and slumps away. Yeah, this is definitely a case of them reaching out to him, him shutting them, and Flash making a wisecrack in response to getting shunned. Right. So, like, if he would have just, if he would just laugh and jab back and then go with them, maybe they'd all be friends and none of this would be an issue. Right. Now, Torch says, I've used my flame so much recently, I have to wait a few days to let it get strong again. Mm -hmm. That is such a strange Tales plot concept that does not exist in the Fantastic Four. (laughs) No. I mean, he does lose flame, but not for days. Mm -hmm. And then in the end of the issue, they talk about how he had a bug or something. Yeah, so that's not consistent. Is it a virus or is it or is and, and you could no prize that by saying he's like covering up. Yeah, you're at this, you know, you're not admitting to being your sick. Your temperature is down and your virus is gone, which is odd of like if he has a fever, he can't flame on cuz we all can flame on when we have a fever. So that's weird. <laughs> um so I was thinking about this. Um I'm trying to remember what it was that I came to a conclusion about with this one. So yeah, I think I remember hearing somewhere that Ditko was getting pressure to use the Fantastic Four in his stories, mm-hmm. and he was kind of resisting. So they show up in the back, backup of number one. Fantastic Four shows up here. They show up again in number eight. They show up again um, in 17, although I feel like there's one other one before that. They do the Strange Tales annual. I mean, there's there's... Not a shortage of Fantastic Four in the Spider-Man comic, but I don't think Ditko actually liked using them. Well, he draws them bad, so that could be true. He didn't put a lot of energy into it, maybe. Or he just doesn't like that style of superhero or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in Spider-Man, Johnny has to get his slam in on the thing, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's why, that's why I was on the thing. I was with my homework. You get results like this, two and two or three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it. Of course, we like it because we're talking about the Marvel Universe. So any sort of crossover, at least especially in these early issues where it starts solidifying a universe, is fun for us. But uh, well, as a, as a kid, this was my only Fantastic Four because I didn't have Fantastic Four comics. I had the first twenty Spider-Man comics. Mm-hmm. So like my entire concept of the dynamics in the Fantastic Four was based on their appearances in the first twenty issues of Amazing. But they were the, they were these like the heroes heroes. That mm-hmm, were kind of like mm-hmm. not as cool as Spider, or way cooler than Spider Man, so therefore distanced from what he was doing. Yeah, I grew up with a respect for the Fantastic Four as the first family of Marvel, mm-hmm. but not really knowing a whole lot about them. Wish I knew more. Yeah. Um, now, whenever Spider Man decides, you know what? I will go after them. I will. Um, and he puts on his Spidey suit and he catapults himself over into the, the atomic plant. There are the guards outside and they say, hey, did you see someone flying above us? And the other guy says, someone flying? Are you a nut or something? <laughs> and I was thinking, hey, it, it it could be Thor. Or Human Torch. Thor, or Human Torch. Yeah, who's in this issue. E- but Except that Thor hasn't been acknowledged as being part of the universe. No. Um, or the Vulture. Or, I don't know. We do have flying people. Sandu. It's really cool, though. I do like the whole... It's another great panel. We could just sit here and gush about every panel, but I like how he does it. He, like, webs a couple trees and, like, pulls back and does the whole uh, slingshot thing. Really cool stuff. 
you get the whole like stretchy elastic characteristics of the web, which always strikes me a little bit weird that he uses something that is so stretchy as a swinging device. Well, like if he taps twice, it mixes one way, and if he taps three <laughs> times, it mixes another. <laughs> and if he taps four times, the storm appears. <laughs> and if you praise to Odin, <laughs> yeah, open up a dimensional vortex. Uh, yeah, but we get um, to see his belt when he's putting on his shirt. Uh, with the little Spidey uh, belt buckle now. Was that there before? Probably not. And I think he's got a miniature camera on the side there. Uh-huh. So, There's a little so he's, thing he's there, getting his, so. be- his Batman utility belt thing going on. Kind of cool. Right. And all the stuff. Some like, great you shots. Know, he's like, uh, you know, invading and trying to make his way to Dr. Octopus. That's fun. And all of the, um, the coloring on the octopus with the lights and mm-hmm. everything is so great. Yeah. I'm just going to have to post this entire issue on our notes, I guess. Because... Oh my god, it is so good. Uh, he does some science. I kind of did a, did a, a, some cursory research of what kind of science he could be here, uh-huh. and I was a little bit disillusioned because I I figured it's probably some sort of acid, right? Because that's that's what you would use to corrode something. But um, the kinds of metals they use for industrial stuff, the kinds of metals he would use to make his robotic arms, are cool and strong and awesome because they're resistant to acids. Oh. Well, he's Spider-Man. He probably came up with something different. He did. He was he he he, he did chemistry that I don't know about because he knows more about chemistry than. And I, I don't know about you, but I always liked when Spider-Man, on the occasion, uses chemistry or something to help defeat a villain. It didn't happen nearly often. No, enough. I mean I've read thirty years of Spider-Man comics now, but nineteen ninety-two, and he does not use his sciency brains anywhere near often enough. So that's cool. That's one of the things that's been a big thing about about modern Spider-Man with Dan Slott's run is that's. Peter Parker does actually start using his sciencey brains to enhance his career. So that's neat. What's funny though is, you know, just because you're a geek in high school doesn't mean you're anywhere near as smart as like Reed Richards or Tony Stark or something. So like mm-hmm. is it just assumed that Peter Parker is that kind of brilliant because anybody who plays with Bunsen burners in the Marvel universe is that kind of brilliant? Or because they I mean he does he does yeah. just make this thing on the fly that can melt octopus's arms together. I think the notion is that if you're um, strong enough, or if you're smart enough as a kid, and then you get the proper training, you should be able to do it pretty well as an adult. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of you know combining the potential with the education. But Reed Richards is smarter, and Reed Richards is probably smarter. And Henry Pym, we already have confirmed, is and Bruce smarter. Banner, maybe. Bruce Banner was identified by the Frogmen as or Toadmen as the smartest man on the yes, planet. Yes, but by magnets. So how smart are they? Anyway, so. I love the shot of like, <laughs> yeah, this all is all so cool, man. Like he's making his way in the corridor. He does the science thing. And then he's like walking around with like his ropes and, uh, you know, the beakers like attached to it. And he's like ready to fight test, test tubes. tubes. Yeah. yeah. He's ready to fight. Um, he's prepared. It's fun. And he, f- he, he fuses the arms, which is great. And then they start using him as a club and the whole page 18 with like, mm-hmm. you know, his arm wrapping his hands are on one tentacle, his legs are on another tentacle, and then using his webs to, to web Octavius' uh-huh. face. And then that bottom wide panel of the struggle. And then the punch. And then the punch. All you need is one wow. punch. One punch. One punch. That's so good. It's all very good. It I'll is. definitely put the punch on our post-it notes. That's too good. Um, and then there's a pinup. Special surprise bonus Spider-Man pinup page. That's cool. That's 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 a, a good a good mm-hmm. pinup, um, and we are first hint that Flash Thompson likes Spider Man. 
Oh, yeah, Here's yeah. my idea of a hero. The Human Torch and a guy like Spider-Man, too. Why don't you watch what a real man's like, Bookworm? Yeah. So, of course, Flash Thompson is always going to be a lifelong Spider-Man I fan. I forgot about that aspect of his character. Yeah, yeah. He's like the number one fanboy, huh? So, Torch's second encounter with Spider-Man is... He comes in and says, never mind. I got Octopus. Thanks for all your help. See ya. And he's just kind of confused. It's funny that he was waiting to feel better to take on Dr. Octopus. It's like, well, what about the other guys? They could have helped or he, didn't, <laughs> he just didn't tell him about it because he wanted to do it by himself. They're too busy fighting another communist. That sounds player. very much like a, a, a human torch story, too. I'm not going to tell these guys about Dr. Octopus because I want to take care of it after I get over this cold. Right. And, you know, back whenever uh, I was doing Amazing Spider-Man Classics, I remember we kind of mocked the idea that the torch would be here all by himself. Mm-hmm. But I mean, strange shells as you know, as as we're covering this show, strange shells definitely is a thing right now. So a torch headliner against Doctor Octopus is not unrealistic. I am actually really glad that of all the sp- all the different villains that did end up showing up in strange shells, Doctor Octopus is not one of them. Um, that makes me happy because a lot of uh, there are Spider Man villains who do show up in strange shells before all is said and done, um, but not Octopus. So Johnny gets checked out by a doctor in a hotel. House calls. But a hotel. That's not his house. So they just like is meet it, somewhere. I'll meet you because I don't want you to be at the Baxter building. Yeah. Why would it be a hotel? I don't know. They live in the same city. Yeah. That's weird. Maybe because he's near the school. They didn't want to commute or something. I don't know. The next day, the Human Torch gives a pulse pounding demonstration of his full powers before returning to his headquarters. It sounds like before like traveling to his headquarters mm. his headquarters are seven blocks over yeah oh you know what though this is oh not glenville though yeah well yeah i don't know where glenville is because <laughs> um, going from glenville to the baxter building is evidently not that smart not that big of a trip we saw in the last strange shells this year yeah um his high school though is in queens uh-huh. which is kind of a ways out of manhattan yeah so maybe that's why so yeah um, so Spider-Man and Human Torch like become kind of buds eventually, I think. I feel like they do. Um, and I've always thought that. And then like I never really made the connection that you know Human Torch was like the original Spider-Man before Spider-Man. So in a way, it kind of makes sense that they're like friends because they're both sort of teenage superhero-y people. Right. And they are the two, I don't know, eventually Teen Heroes is going to be a thing at Marvel, but they are the two Teen Heroes right mm-hmm. now. Um, and it's going to be fun because there will there'll be a short time whenever the Human Torch is almost like a supporting character yeah. for this book. Um, but What's funny is like Johnny yeah. will probably would probably get along with Flash more than Peter <laughs> if they knew that about themselves. <laughs> probably yeah. would. Yeah, great issue. They've redeemed themselves. The next one is the Sandman. Ooh, Sandman. I like him too. I like the Sandman. I like the Sandman issue I too. Mean, so we are we are we are cooking with gas on Spider Man. So he has a lot of great villains. So that shouldn't be much of an issue for us. All right. Well, um, we are definitely past the hour mark by just a smidge. Uh-huh. So I guess we should do our closing stuff. You, um, you, we are. Well, no, I can't talk about that because it's going to be in the past tense by the time we <laughs> put this out there. I was going to tell you how we're going to do email episodes, but you know what? By this time, we've already done part like they're three magically of them. there. So, everybody, check them out magically delicious um so do you want to thank or you want me to tell them where to go before you uh thank or um, i'll thank later i'll thank another, okay, time. another time i keep throwing that at you and then you're like no i don't want to do that why do you keep bringing it up i'm sorry i didn't mean to bring it up okay uh, well well the the spoiler result is is that we actually have not had any new likes on the facebook or twitter oh, well then i think week. none of you 
thanks to none of you because nobody think nobody liked us. Well, probably people are still continuing to retweet our posts. Except for those of you who are retweeting our posts. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. And, we love and following you. us because you've already liked us. And you can only do that once. I get it. You know yeah, what? Yeah, that's true. It's like, I don't want to be like that, still- that uh, you know, Dish Network or whatever, where they only care about new customers. I like the original customers, too. We still have their likes and their follows. Yes. Um, but if you are new and you haven't heard the speech a million times, you can find us at makearsmarvel.com where I post a bunch of pictures that we're talking about. Apparently in this episode, I'm just going to post every image of Amazing Spider-Man number three because I like them all. (laughs) I don't know if that's legal, but we'll see if we can get away with it. And uh, you can also find our social media links for Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and YouTube. I swear though, man, if we don't have like 10 YouTube subscribers soon. I think I'm going to just stop doing YouTube because that's like the most time-consuming social media we do and there's nobody doing anything with it. So if you like our YouTube, you better get on there and subscribe or something because it's going to go away. Um, Yeah. You can also message us at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. And of course, on the site, you can find all kinds of different ways to plug our show into your subscription box. So you just pick the phone you have and click the right link. All right, well, we'll be picking up with the rest of our April issues next episode, episode 23. We're, we're just cooking on through mm-hmm. this. This is great. And you know how we, um, we were talking about earlier in the episode how Janet Van Dyne was fascinated with wasps? Yeah. Well, until she learns that spiders and wasps are natural enemies and decides to hate Spider-Man because of that. Make ours marvel. Now available. Image Comics, formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right.